Is there anything, Bill, you don't want to talk about? Um, I don't want to reveal uh, about what happened to Mary because it's a, you know, it's an integral part of the book later. And I think it, it would give too much away if we start talking about, you know. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hello, Corinne and Craig. Thank you very much for having me on your show. My name is Bill Cosgrave. I'm the author of Love Her Madly, and uh, I live in Kelowna, British Columbia, and I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much, Bill, for uh, for joining us today. It's really much appreciated. Uh, I had a lot of fun reading your book. It was very entertaining, very insightful uh, book. It was just outstanding. What didn't you like about it? That it ended. <laughs> Perfect response. <laughs> that it ended and... We'll, we'll, we'll talk about, not that I'm upset, you know, about this particular thing, but uh, I, I want to ask you sort of some decisions that you've made, you know, when, before, let's, let's say it this way, before Jim died, some decisions you made prior to that, um, it was like, wow, you know, just blew my mind. But um, I want to ask you this, Bill, actually, let me ask you this before we sort of get, before we get into uh, the book and your story. Um, how are things with you? We've all been in a pandemic for the past 10 months. How are things with you in, in Kelowna? Um, well, both of my daughters, ironically, live in Los Angeles. And oh, wow. we go down there every, you know, three months. Uh, they both have family down there. So that has really been disruptive because the last time we came back was Jan 15th. So it's, we're on the anniversary almost for a little past. Yeah, I'm not seeing them, and we're just staying close to home. Kelowna is there's only 125,000 people here, so it's pretty laid back. Uh, you know, nobody's gotten ill in our network, and everybody's leading quite a slow, boring, unsocial life. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough, a healthy one. A healthy one, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I I go hiking up the mountain near here, and. and there's a lot of people outdoors, and yeah. uh, ironically, I was just talking to my daughter. They're skiing at Mammoth in uh, in California, both of them. And I said, "How is it that you're allowed to go skiing?" And they said, "Well, the governor declared it uh, like an essential service because it's outdoor exercise." So yeah. I, I raised my eyebrow a bit over that one. I mean. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, our ski hill is open, and uh, people are out biking, a lot of biking, and uh, yeah, nice. thank you for asking. You're all good down there? Nobody's sick? or Yeah, um, you know, so far, uh, you know, knock on wood, we're all, we're all healthy here at home, good. and um, yeah, so we're, 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 and we're still, you know, we're, we've got two adults working here at home, and we've got a, uh, a new high school student. Oh my. School in home. So 
we haven't got on each other's nerves, let's say. <laughs> well, I mean, it's amazing. This, this post-COVID consequence is going to be pretty profound. There's a lot of family bonding going on. And, uh, yes. A lot of people are deciding when they go traveling, when they can, they're going to go and visit family instead of going off on an adventure. So uh, there's a lot of very positive things coming out. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who don't know, Love Her Madly uh, is a book about you, Mary, and Jim Morrison. Um, And it's not a fiction. It's this is like, this is your, not your whole life, but it's a good part uh, of your, of your life story in here as well. It's, a, it's actually a biography of Jim and a memoir. It's, mm. And some of the bookstores have them in, in both categories. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to all, ask... Sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, please. It's all accurate. I mean, some people say, oh my, are you kidding? You, you know, you crashed the Academy Awards. You, you went to the Watts riots. But it's, it all happened. Strangely enough. So. Strange, of course, strangely enough. Um, why why was 2020, which, which is when this book was published, why was that the right time? I'm sure you spent months, if not, I don't know how long, you know, writing the book and making sure you had everything correct and stuff. But why was, I guess, this time the right time? It seems to me that you know, this book should have been written years ago. Well, interestingly, it's the 50th anniversary of Jim's death. Okay. So, but that had nothing to do with it. It was actually a lousy time to release a book because um, so many people, when they go into a bookstore, they'll, uh, they'll go to buy, say, Barack Obama's book, but they'll browse and then they'll pick up Lover Madly, you know. So sales in that regard are way down because people just aren't going to, you know, the indigos and the chapters. And so they're not browsing. They're not browsing. It's not a great time to release a book. Yeah. Um, The reason it came out now is simply that I started writing it the first thousand words, maybe eight years ago. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I never intended to write it. I, I was invited last minute to a, uh, a golf group in Palm Springs. And one of the fellows there, uh, I just sat beside him for dinner one night. And we started chatting and he, I started telling him my story. And he said, what? You, you, sh- you should be getting this down in writing. So about a month later, just for the hell of it, I opened a bottle of wine and wrote a thousand words never having written before, and I send it to him, and he said, this is really great stuff, you need to do more. So three months went by, and then, you know, I I wrote another 1,200 words and sent it off, then 1,500, and then uh, 48,000 words later, it was a book. Yeah, just just total happenstance. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, As I'm reading the book, Bill, I go, this guy's like Forrest Gump. You yeah. know, you remember like he, Forrest Gump in the movie would sort of be in all of these iconic moments in history back in the 60s. And as I'm reading this, I'm going, oh, my goodness, he, he meets Jim. Um, I'm a big Neil Young fan. You meet Bruce Palmer. Um, you, 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 you're at the Academy Awards. 
Um, you, uh, there's a, I can't remember the name of the rights in LA, but you're, you're there. You the know, it's like, Bryant, yeah. it's like, you're everywhere. You, you meet, uh, you, you don't just meet Jim Morrison, but you guys are like best friends. I know. Um, you meet Ray and, and it's like, wow. And then I, I managed to get into that, uh, Hollywood palace where, uh, the guard finally let me in, and then I had. That's right. That. Yeah. No, That's you know, I, it, I tell people back then, Kareem, it, it was a fearless time. There was no fear like there is today. So you did anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I was quite an outgoing, confident young guy, and I just I couldn't wait for the next adventure, and I was totally open to it, but. There wasn't any fear. You know, thousands of people were hitchhiking. You never heard about somebody being hurt or it just was a very different, easy, free time. I wanted to ask you about that because it seemed like you hitchhiked everywhere. You hitchhiked uh, into the States, uh, across the border. You hitchhiked across the States. You would hitchhike locally, you know, just, you know, a bunch of miles down one way. And it seems to me that there was a culture like a hitch, I don't know if that's the right word, but like a hitchhiking culture. I'm old enough to remember people on the side of the street with their thumbs out, um, whether it's on the 401 in Toronto or, you know, what have you. You don't say that anymore. Uh, Not at all. Tell, tell me about hitchhiking. It must be so many adventures besides the ones that you chronicle in this book. Well, the thing is that there was thousands and thousands of young people hitchhiking. It was, you know, they were dropping out. Do you remember Timothy Leary, tune in, turn on and drop out? And they were uh, just, uh, it was free transportation. A lot of kids didn't have cars. Yeah. And uh, it was just the way to get around and you'd meet interesting people and, you know, they'd, they'd maybe buy you lunch and drop you here. And there was, all, there was also rules like, if you're on a stretch of highway where there was a lot of hitchhikers, you'd give enough space between each one, you know, and it was just like an unwritten rule. Okay, you're first, and then we'll wait. And it was just a very open lot. Kids had guitars, and uh, it was just, a, you know, nobody could afford airplanes, and no yeah. people had cars. So they just hit the road. Actually, you got Jack Kerouac wrote a book called On the Road, All About being out on, on, on the road. And, and Jim, he hitchhiked from Florida all the way to UCLA. Uh, you have two daughters. Yes. Have they ever hitchhiked? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Kareem. You talk to college kids and they can't even imagine hitchhiking. They can't even imagine it. No. Meant, no it occurred, you know. It's... it's when, when I got a car, when I went back to, you know, got straightened up and I, I would pick, pick up hitchhikers all over the place. They were, it was a kindred spirit, you know, and you'd meet some really neat people. That is, yeah. yeah. So let's get back to, uh, back to the book. Um, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. So if I get it wrong, please do let me know. Um, Mary Werbelow. That's it. Okay. Before, before you, you know, you mentioned uh, Forrest Gump. Yes. Like th- that has come up a lot. It, it's Gumpers. So I was just going through a file and I found this, you know, I, I was in the travel business. Yeah. And yeah. I found this, 
which is uh, me with the Fidel Castro. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> right? I thought you'd get a kick out of that because just another <laughs> example of uh, being in, a pl- in the right place at the right time. Now, where did you meet Fidel? Well, I had the first uh, commercial group to Cuba. And, uh, oh. Yeah, and, and uh, it, they needed foreign currency, and I took down 250 people on a, on a giant conference, and I chose Cuba, and Castro was so, wanted to make an impression, and, you know, oh boy, foreign money, let's encourage more of that, so he just showed up unannounced at the hotel that I had this conference in, and he wanted to meet the guy who brought uh, this group to, um, to Cuba, so... <laughs> And, and when I was introduced to him, I, didn't know, I, I wanted to say something funny. So I, so I said, Hables Espanol, you speak Spanish? And, and that's why he's laughing in the uh, photograph. Of course. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that is, that is a neat story. Um, how did you first meet Mary? So I was in, uh, I left home just before I was 16. I went to Florida for 10 days and stayed. And I called my mom and I said, I like it down here. I, I want to stay. And she said, well, I can't come and get you, So, but you're on your own. Anyway, I found a nice family to stay with. And I, I enrolled in the local high school. And I saw this stunning, riveting, amazing girl who was older than me and, uh, Somehow we started talking and we talked some more and then she said, do you want to have coffee? And we formed this very unusual friendship that uh, we just became very close, completely platonic. Yeah. She, was, she was dating Jim then, but I never met Jim. I, I was never allowed to go to Mary's on the weekend. And that's when Jim would hitchhike in from, uh, he was going to Florida, University of Florida and he'd hitchhike across Florida, spend the weekend with her, go back, and then I'd see her during the week. And we never met until I went to L.A. So what were you were at the university as well? No, I was in high school. You were in high school? Yeah, Mary right, was 60. in her, is 63, 64. Okay. And Mary was, in, was a senior, and I was uh, two years younger, three years younger. But we just clicked. I don't, I don't know what it was. We just And then Jim transferred to UCLA to go to film school. Um, Mary then followed him out. And then she, she wrote me these letters. Oh, Billy, you'd love it out here. It's great. And then I went to university in Montreal with Loyola College, Jesuit priests, and a maniac for a dean. You got he, kicked out. I did, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't like free-spirited individuals. So, uh, and I'd been on my own for two years, living around with people and families. And all of a sudden, I'm in a residence. And this guy's telling me what to do and when to turn my lights out. So anyway, I got a letter from Mary saying, you should come down here. You'd love it. It's great. And you can stay with me as long as you want. So I got kicked out. And I thought, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to L.A. <laughs> so I did. You, you hitchhiked your way to L.A.? I took a train to Vancouver. Okay. Uh, with like the cheapest ticket possible. And then I uh, hitchhiked and they wouldn't let me across the border because I only had 115 bucks. So they wouldn't let me in. I waited. It was nighttime. I waited until I saw a pickup coming and I just hoped and prayed the guy would pull over and he did. 
I told him that I had to get in the States and he was a hell of a nice guy. And he ended up pulling over and hiding me under his hay bales and he snuck me into the States. That's how I got in there. <laughs> that's, that's just phenomenal. Yeah. So let, let's, let's get back. Let's get back to Florida uh, sure. for a second. You meet Mary at high school. Um, she's a senior. You're, you're three years younger than her. She's dating this guy yeah. named Jim Morrison. Um, what, t- t- what kind of person? So everyone who's listening to this and everyone who's heard the name Jim Morrison is going to sort of go back to, you know, footage that they've seen, uh, the songs that they hear, and they're going to think in, in their mind, probably similar to me, here's this flamboyant, outgoing personality, Jim. So let's just, for context, let's just leave that there for a second. Before we get back to who Jim really was, tell me about Mary. What kind of, uh, you know, outside of probably the most beautiful woman you had seen up until then, um what kind of what kind of woman was she? What kind of girl was she? Well, she was very smart, way smarter than anybody I'd ever met, and, and smarter than her classmates. She was very engaging, curious, well-read, uh, and and captivating. She just had a personality, and she, when she'd laugh, she'd clap her hands and just <laughs> burst out laughing. And she got great joy out of things, and she got a great kick out of things and she just uh, and I, I think that's why she and Jim clicked because they were both very smart and uh, she was a little aloof uh, didn't really participate it's very strange she was actually nominated for like Miss Clearwater or something and it's it is not Mary to have got into that but she didn't I think she came second or something but she was very smart and aloof and, uh, and a beautiful person. And I think that's what Jim saw in her. And she saw a lot of the same things in Jim, except Jim was way quieter than Mary. And that sort of got me as I'm reading the book. It's like, wait a second, this is not the Jim that I think I know. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, Bill, because over the past five years of me, you know, podcasting and, and, you know, meeting people, you know, I've talked to musicians, athletes, media personalities. Um, and so many of them will tell me if I, if I ask the question, tell me something I don't know, or most people don't know about you. Right. And a few, few, more than a few people have told me, Bill, I'm an introvert. Yeah. And I'm like, like you, <laughs> the guy who's on TV and yelling and screaming is it introvert? It's, it's astonishing, isn't it? I, I mean, I've noticed the same thing, and I, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I've actually done a bit of studying on it, and a hell of a lot of uh, comedians are introverts. Yeah. It, it just takes some amazing courage that they somehow summons to get up on stage terrified, and, and then they do it. Yeah, I, I'm, it, I'm with you. It is astonishing. When Mary would talk to you about Jim, you had never met him yet because you're still in Florida. Um, who, like, who was Jim? Like, what kind of a person was she, was he? According to Mary, who was he? I think the number one thing was he was very intelligent and, and good looking. Yeah. But 
really intelligent and they they told they were like soulmates right from the beginning they just understood each other um she mentioned how she could they could spend hours not saying anything just being in the same room both reading mm-hmm. they just they just clicked they just got each other and uh, they were both very special people um she just told me that she loved this guy and he was marvelous and very smart and she loved being with him and they were talking about getting married. Yeah. You know? Zero. And it, for those who don't know, throughout the whole book, prior to you seeing his face on, on a magazine, like zero hint that Jim was this rock star in the making. He was, you know, we spent so much time together just hanging around the beach. He was quiet, very shy, uh, a gentleman, like a southern gentleman, spoke sort of softly. And, uh, yeah, he was just this quiet, very smart. They both had genius IQs, by the way. And uh, and I know that because one time when I was down there, I said to Mary, I said, Gee, Jim is really smart. And she said, He's a genius, and guess what? My IQ is higher than his. So she took some pride in that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, Jim was just a quiet, uh, introspective. He was interested in everything, and he was always making notes. But uh, no sign whatsoever that he would be anything uh, outgoing, like an actor or an entertainer, anything. Yeah. And, uh, when I found Mar- Mary later, she reconfirmed what we had said at the time that he never sang or hummed, never sang a note or hummed a note. And he whistled once in a while, but no, no that's, that's just amazing. It is. You, you left Florida, came back to Canada, I think, to go to university, right? College. Uh, well, I, I left LA because I just. I was broke. Jim was broke. We couldn't. Didn't oh, so you you came. You went to LA before coming back. Yes, when I dropped out of okay. university, I okay. went to LA, and then and then we had our time together. And then ah. in the fall, I said, "I got to get out of here, Jim. I'm broke, and yeah. uh, I can't get a job, proper job, because I don't have a social insurance number." And so I left, and uh, they took me to the bus depot, and. That's right. That, that's closer to the end. That's right. I thought there was a point because yeah, you, you sort of do go back. Um, but I wanted to ask you this. Um, the first time that you, the first time you met Jim, um, he obviously wasn't Jim Morrison of the Doors. He was Mary's Jim, for lack of a better term, right? Right. Uh, tell, tell me about uh, meeting him for the first time. Well, I, when I finally got to L.A., I, I didn't have Mary's phone number. It was unlisted, and she had no idea when I was going to show up. I just wrote and said, I'm, I'm on my way. Yeah. And I found her, eventually found her place. Uh, I met some people and in a bar when I got off the bus. They were really nice ladies who all turned out to be cross-dressers, by the way, and I didn't realize it. And um, I spent the night with him. They dropped me off. One of them took me to Mary's address. And then I knocked on the door. We had this wonderful reunion. We were chatting away and uh, and uh, having a wonderful reunion. And then the door opened. And 
I was sitting on the couch beside Jim or Mary, and then Jim walked in and he sees this guy sitting on the couch with his girlfriend. And Mary says, "Look who's here! It's Billy." You know, he says, "Hey, man, you made it!" And shook hands. He gave me a shy smile, and uh, we started talking. He asked, "Do I want a beer?" And absolutely. So we just we just clicked actually very quickly. Mary went to bed at about, oh, I don't know, midnight, and Jim and I stayed up till about two. He went to bed and got up in the morning, made me a coffee, and our friendship began. Yeah. Wow. He was a very gentlemanly, yeah. just kind guy. Yeah. As, as sort of, you know, uh, you, I want to sort of jump back and forth. You know, you're 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 building a, a travel business. You're, uh, you know, you got a family and stuff. Like, how does this come up in conversation? Hey, I used to be Jim Morrison's best friend, or me and Jim were best friends back in the day. Like, does it? Did that ever come up? Was it something that you readily brought up, or that you were shy to bring up? I'm really curious how that conversation well, would come up. You know, I, I can't even remember a specific. My girls didn't know who he was because they were, you know, way younger. Of course, uh, yeah. And the music they listened to. And maybe sometime, a, you know, a song came on and I'd say, hey, I used to live with that guy. And they'd say, what do you mean, Dad? And I'd say, well, when I went to California and he, he and I were friends. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, they haven't read the book yet. And, okay. and part, and, and it's intentional. Because they, the stuff they've heard about Jim, wild, crazy, sex, drugs, rock and roll, uh, they, they are promoting the book, uh, but they're not that interested in reading about their dad smoking a bunch of dope and drinking. And uh, <laughs> It would be strange, I'm, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think if my dad had known someone, you know, known Elvis or someone like that. Yeah. And, you know, got, got high with Elvis and got drunk with Elvis. And, yeah, I'm, right. I'm wondering whether I'd want to read that. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's what it is. I mean, that probably will get around to it. But it is, it is you know, but it was, I was a, a kid. I was 18, you know. Yeah. And uh, so that was basically, it was not, a, it was a non-issue until I came back and I said, hey, girls, I've got this guy and he wants me to write a book. What about, oh, you know. Good, have a nice time, and they went off somewhere. You know, jeez, don't <laughs> they know the door? Oh so my goodness, um, right. that's it's so interesting, Kareem. How many people know Jim Morrison? Though, I mean, of course, every generation is fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, you know, when you were talking to um, that girl Meg, yeah, you're talking about Neil Young sold half of his uh, yeah of his songs. So I read recently that, uh, and so for perspective, when when Jim and I were when we were both broke, I, I had some money. I'd buy a hot dog, beer, a cigarette, but he had zero money when I left, and his his estate is now worth close to ninety million dollars. <laughs> yeah, you used to sell. Was it you were selling phones, or I can't, I'm trying to remember your job you had back then. Oh, well, I was hired by, this is an interesting story. I, I didn't yeah. give the guy's last name in, in, the, in the book, 
But uh, a guy named Huntington Hartford was the wealthiest man in the U.S. He had a 23-acre estate in, in, uh, in Beverly Hills. And he had, you know, he owned an island in, in the Caribbean. And he, he'd throw parties and bring in 10,000 roses. Anyway, his son was, uh, was not very sophisticated. And I would go to this club where Mary danced, and she was the key dancer. And this kid would go there with an older guy. And anyway, long story short, they asked if they could join me. I started talking to them. And the guy paid me to be friends with Huntington Hartford III. Oh, was, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And we'd get in this ridiculous red Rolls Royce and he'd push a siren, police siren. Anyway, I did that. I did that, but I only did it for a few weeks because it was ridiculous. But I got a hundred a week, which was like a thousand a week to be the guy's friend. <laughs> um, uh, but they, yeah, that was another thing, you know, meeting Huntington Harper. But I ended up getting a job very quickly selling the uh, LA Times. LA Times, that's what it was. Yeah. You get on the phone and say, hi, I'm a student and I, I need, you know, if, I, if you can buy a three-month subscription, I can get my way to pay for my college. And it, it was cheesy, so I eventually quit. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that, how I, that's where I got my money. And, and you'd buy hot dogs and drinks for you and Jim down at the beach. Yeah. yeah. That, is, that is just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's lots, I'm sure there's lots of memories you have. And probably at the time I'm thinking, right, Bill, that, you know, as, as, as you're coming back home to, you know, to Canada, so to speak, you're not sort of thinking, you know, there's a, a flashpoint in, in one of the, you know, in, in someone's life that is going to be um, a rock icon, you know, it's going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and so on. And so, you know, I'm, I'm curious about your favorite memory, really, uh, with you, Mary, and Jim. Um, if, you, if you have one. Just being with them. I, you know, just hanging around with them, uh, talking, smoking a joint, laughing. It just really, it was a very easy, easy friendship. And, and uh, I think my favorite times, like, I, I did love Mary. I was secretly loved her and uh, uh but i mean i knew that she and jim were getting married and i was too young anyway but i loved being around her she was just full of delight and when i was with jim on the beach it was just great we had endless days you know just have a joint watch the palm trees watch people talk not talk just it was a really laid back in the truest sense of the word time no worries even though we didn't have any money yeah, we you know I had just enough, and um, Jim was living on a roof, and this guy that let him live up there would you know feed him some dinner sometime. But I think just the totally a hippie, laid back, no cares in the world was fa a favorite collective time, a collective favorite time. Yeah, that's uh, what a what a time to be alive. Oh. It was amazing. Everybody shared everything, you know, like if, if you met somebody, hey, where are you staying your name, man? I don't know. Well, look, we, you know, we got a couch or we've got an attic or my sister has an extra bed or it was just really open. And, and as I said in the book, uh, homeless didn't mean you didn't have a place to stay. 
there was always somebody saying, hey, stay in my place for a week. I'm going here. You know, you can just stay. Very open and honest and sharing time. Sounds very naive now, but uh, it was. People would get shared what they had. Was there a moment in time where that changed? Where there was not as much hitchhiking going on? You know, you, you couldn't borrow a couple of bucks from a stranger. You know, you, you couldn't just, you know, hang out at someone's house. You know, you didn't ironically, know. Kareem, the same generation that spawned the hippies, free love, and peace and love, a lot of those people ended up getting into university, getting into business, you know, programs, and they became these uh, materialistic, money-hunting people. The, you know, the, the same generation, I mean, I don't think all the hippies turned and became voracious capitalists, but a hell of a lot of people did. So I, I think, you know, the Vietnamese War, certainly, as I mentioned in the book, uh, the killing of John Kennedy was, as Jen felt, the loss of America's innocence. Um, so Kennedy's assassination, the Vietnam War, um, and people just started getting cynical. And then, of course, Nixon, who was a reprehensible liar. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, about presidents? <laughs> it does. Um, it does. And I just think the whole thing just sadly disappeared, and people got more cynical and, uh, yeah. There's um, an interesting part in the book um, where – I can't remember. You're, you're, you're traveling. You're going for, I think from, you wanted to get back to back, back into town. Um, and you, you, you're, you're obviously hitchhiking. Um, and you end up at a party with a, uh, with a number of African Americans. Um, and the riots break out in LA. Um, Tell, tell me, because, you know, as I'm, as I'm reading this, we're obviously in current times, you know, going through um, a lot of social. Upheaval. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I sort of wanted to pick another word, but you're right. Social upheaval, you know, where we're, we're trying, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're hoping, at least a number of us, that we begin to treat other people equally with respect um, and, and reading that, that part of the book, that chapter was really, is, was really insightful and really interesting. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the only, uh, one of the few, if not the only white guy at this party. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, do you want to tell the story? Yeah. Yeah. Please. So I was, I was actually hitchhiking out to see Jim and he was out in Venice and I was at Mary's. And uh, I'm hitchhiking, and, and I knew that there had been a riot in Watts. They were called the Watts Riots. But that was, you know, another part of town and all that, and I was going out to the ocean. And so I was had my thumb out, as always. And these three uh, black guys picked me up, and they were just flying. They were happy guys, and we were just chatting away. And, and uh, I said, you know, nice car. And they laughed, and they said, well, it's not ours. We stole it. And I said, good choice, man, with the air conditioning. And uh, anyway, we just got along, and they said, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm going out to Venice to see a friend. They said, do you want to come to a party? And I said, sure. 
because you just, you know, why not? Right. It, of course. Fun, nice guys. And uh, they said, we want to show you something. So we drive and then, oh, then we're in walks and there's police and firing. And I thought, what the hell's going on? Cause it was a riot, but they had quelled it at that point. So they, this guy, Zeke, he was the, the sort of the main dude. And I went to the, his place and uh, there was partying. They showed me they had a whole bedroom filled with vodka that they'd stolen <laughs> at the first part of the riot. Like, I'm not kidding. I, there must have been 500 cases. Jeez. And, and the people were coming over and they were partying and then they started playing music and I got into everything and they were singing and then I started singing and it was just a really fun, fun all night party. And you can hear sirens and all that. And then I, the next day I said, Z, and I was the only white guy. And uh, some of them gave me some looks and they said, it's okay. He's from Canada. He's cool. You know, he's one of us. And yeah. So the next day I said, Zeke, I got to get going up to see my friend Jim. And he said, you're not going anywhere, man. You'll get shot and you have to stay here. So I stayed a, another day and a half and partied on. And then he got one of his boys to drive me up to, uh, Santa Monica. Wow. But it was, it was fun. They were nice people. They weren't, they, they were angry at, at whitey. Yeah. They were, they were white supremacists, but yeah. I wasn't, they could tell, you know, but they had a lot of, that was a lot of beefs and the beefs are still going on today, like 50 years later. It's uh, it's, it's criminal, but it's interesting. Some people have commented about lover madly that it's interesting when you look at, the, the white supremacist issue. Uh, and there's a chapter in the book where Jim and I get uh, confronted by police and they end up beating him up. And that's, you know, police brutality is an issue today. So it's, it's even though it's, it was back then and I didn't have any intention when I was writing it, it's quite timely. Yeah. The reflection of what's going on today and hopefully it will be better now. I mean, well, that's yeah. America is a white supremacist nation for a lot of people. Sad, very sad. Absolutely. Because there are so many, like New York has to be one of my favorite cities to go to, uh-huh. if, if not my favorite city. Um, and it's like, yeah, that, you know, and I look back and I go, okay, New York is not America. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, when I, when I think of, you know, what, what you sort of, when you see all these things and you go, I can't believe there's 75 or whatever, 70 odd million people that would vote for a racist. Right. Uh, and I go, I, I can't, I, I don't, that's, that's not the America that I know. No. It's probably not the America that you experienced. No, you know, the thing is, New York is such a melting pot, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a wonderful city because of that. Um, but yeah, no the the black the Black Lives Matter thing is very important, and yes. Trump stoked it. But I agree with you. How is it that I think it was seventy three million people? I mean, let's say a third are died in the world Republicans, and no matter who it is, sure. And let's say uh, a third, another third, liked the income tax dropping or something. But who the heck are these other third? I, I don't get it. Yeah. It is, it is, it is scary, strange, and sad. It is. Um, all at the same time. You, you have to tell, Bill, you have to tell this, 
this um, this Academy Awards um, story. You you I mean, can you imagine today a kid sneaking into the Academy Awards? Right, like, hey, it's not happening. No, somehow well, I mean, you did it. <laughs> for one thing, um, you'd never do it because there's cameras everywhere, right? There weren't hmm. any cameras. I had That's people right. ask me, how come you don't have pictures? Nobody had cameras. Everybody's got an iPhone now, and they think, how in the hell do you not have pictures? So if somebody had a camera, the big 35 mil thing, and nobody had that, and even if you had a camera, like a brownie or whatever they're called, you couldn't, you had to buy the film, and then you had to pay to have it processed. So, but yeah, getting back to it, I mean, the, the this surveillance now, you wouldn't have got near, near the place. Yeah. But yeah, Jim and I were just walking by it. Uh, these the and the, you know the big gold Oscar was up, and and I said to Jim, I I'd like to go to the Academy Awards. I said, Are you crazy? Like they're all you know sappy movies, and they're a bunch of you know Mary Poppins and all that. And so I I bet him five bucks that I could I could, and I did. I I went to a pawn shop, used clothing store, and I got yeah. a suit. Suit and tie and socks for eight, uh, eight bucks, all in. All in. And you had to return it too, didn't you? Well, I offered him five because I didn't have that much money. And, and I said, I'll tell you what, take five instead of eight, and then I'll bring it all back to you. He thought I had a date. And I said, I'll bring it back in four days and you can keep it. So you're like renting it to me. So that's how I got, got him down to five bucks. And then I hitchhiked out to the uh, to the Academy Awards, and it was you know throngs of people out in front. I went around back, and um, even though there was a huge fence separating the front from the back, it said you know no trespassing at the back. But all these trucks were pulling in, and um, and I just edged my way in. I had a suit on, and you know I guess I looked uh, respectable. And I got right up beside the, uh, there was a truck fairly close to the stairs. And I, and I thought, oh boy, I'm getting closer. Then I saw a guard at the, at the backstage door. So I leaned against the wall. And then I heard all this scuffing and noise. And I thought, oh man, it's the police. I'm, I'm nabbed. And it was a limousine coming in. And there was, it must have been 50 reporters yelling and scuffling. And they had their cameras. And it pulled up right beside me so that when the door opened, the back door, this guy who was, it was famous then, his name was Jimmy Durante, he opens the door and I'm there and he's there. The door closes, his handles get out the front and the photographers start sort of pushing up after him, taking pictures and all that, and I'm behind him. And I get shoved right up with him and then the door opens. I We all go in, the door slams and all of a sudden I'm inside the backstage of the Academy Awards and they all went off this right this way Mr. Ernie and, and I, you know, people the bands tuning up and checking mics and I just walked up to the front and uh, here was every star I'd ever seen in my life all in one room so, that's crazy yeah and who who got you your drink because you didn't have a ticket for a drink right yeah you know you're supposed to have a drink when you show you belong so I went up to the bar and I ordered a a glass of champagne and she gives it to me and she said I asked for a drink ticket and I thought oh man I'm hooped I don't I didn't know you needed a ticket and then this female arm goes by me with a ticket diamonds on it and uh you can have one of mine and I turned around and I'm just trying to think of her name 
famous movie star. I'll get in a minute. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I said, uh, you know, thank you very much. And she smiled at me and, and then, uh, then she raised her eyebrow and she looked at me and I, I'm <laughs> sure she knew what I was up to. Um, yeah. She was in the, the movie called The Days of Wine and Roses. And I just, I've just lost her name. I'm trying but, to see if yeah. I can find it. I, did, I didn't write it down, but that's, that's just amazing. One of those, you know, where were you when? <laughs> yeah. You, know, yeah. You, were, you were there. You were, you were in there. Um, and, and, and everybody would put down their drinks after having one sip. I figured they weren't drinking because if they won the Academy Award, they didn't want to be drunk. So I just started taking their drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> You'd finish them all off. Yeah. I had, and, and then uh, should I tell you the story about getting caught? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, if somebody buys the books. Anyway, so I'm just feeling great. And I'm looking at all these movie stars and nodding at everybody and they're nodding back. And I'm thinking I'm, I'd have to find a seat. And then a guy comes up in a tuxedo and he says, can I see your, uh, your, uh, your invitation, please? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. So I'm doing the old digging around in my pockets and, you know, this goes on. And he says, you can't find your ticket because you don't have one, your invitation. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, look at every guy here, what they're dressed in and look what you're dressed in. They're all in tuxedos and I'm in this secondhand <laughs> ill-fitting suit <laughs> you know I mean I just stood out so he takes me outside and I'm into the throngs and actually there was some girls that were screaming oh who's that you know so I walked towards them and they said we have your autograph and I said sure so they had a magazine I signed the magazine and uh, left nice. and I went down and found Jim <laughs> where were you oh he's just at the Academy Awards yeah, and I said you owe me five bucks. <laughs> um, you met so many people when you were there—not just movie stars at the Academy Awards, but I think I told you earlier I'm a big Neil Young fan. You—you uh, you met Bruce Palmer. Um, I don't know whether that was just a quick encounter um, or spent any time with him, but uh, yeah, would love to know a bit about your your impressions of, uh, of Bruce. Okay. Well, I lived on old young street in uh, York mills and, uh, and there was always kids at our house. Cause there was four, four of my family. And one of them brought home this shy young guy named Bruce Palmer and uh, in Toronto and Bruce would come over and he was very quiet and he'd just sit there and he'd just play his guitar, just strum. I, I can see him to this day. And he he was a lonely guy. He'd come over and he liked being around my family. There was a couple of girls and their girlfriends, and mm -hmm. so he would just come over and uh, and just strum his guitar and um, uh, and just not say very much. But he was a very sweet guy, very sweet. And uh, then I went, I went off went to Florida. I didn't know what he had done. I didn't have any idea that he pursued guitar playing. Okay. And then it wasn't until I was uh, down in, in Sunset Strip and, uh, you know, walking by the Whiskey A Go-Go. And then later on, well, actually, within a year of my being on, on that particular day in Sunset Strip, Jim would be with the doors that didn't exist. They would be the house band at the Whiskey A Go-Go. 
And one night, uh, uh, Buffalo Springfield appeared uh, with Bruce Palmer, Neil Young, and I forget the other fellas in the group. And both, so both Jim and Neil. Stephen Stills, I think. Yes, that's right. Uh, both Jim and 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 uh, Bruce were on stage at the same time, jamming, and it was just small world, right? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Very but small. I had left by then. I, yeah, I, I, of course. Jim's rise was meteoric. I mean, honestly, from being broke in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt to sleeping on a roof. And when he met Ray, you know, what are you doing? Let's hear something. So they started, he started uh, doing a few songs that he had in his head to Ray. Yeah. Ray said, this is really great stuff, man. And then Jim moved in with Ray and Dorothy. And that's how I met them because Jim took me there one night. That's when I barfed in their sink. (laughs) You were told to use the toilet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The next day, Jim says, hey, man, next time, don't barf in their sink. Barf in the toilet. (laughs) Another thing my daughter probably wouldn't be hugely amused about reading, right? Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll we'll have to uh, send her this episode. Uh, (laughs) Here's happy birthday. Here's dad. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I, you know, uh, Mary dumps Jim. Right. Um, and, but, but the, I, I guess the three of you still remained friends, or you were sort of the guy in the middle who was best friends with both of them. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say, I, would, I wouldn't say best friends. I'd say sure. very, very close friends. Yeah. With both Mary and Jim. Like, I never met, I didn't know if Jim even had any friends. I, I actually mentioned that in the book. It's, it's like, he never talked about anybody, uh, never, well, nobody had phones, right? You don't you didn't just call people. Yeah. And we just hung out and he never, um, he just happened to run into Ray. Ray thought he had gone to New York, which is what he said he was going to do. So he just, he seemed almost like a compartmentalized situations. Um, yeah, so... So I'd say we were very close. I can't say I was his best friend because maybe he had another friend that I never knew about. Sure. But I still haven't heard about him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't want to go to, we've talked so much about the book, uh, but I really think people need to buy because there's so, so much uh, in there. And I want to thank you for, you know, t- telling stories uh, from the book. Um, but just a reminder, the book is Love Her Madly. Jim Morrison, Mary and Me by Bill Cosgrove. Um, sorry, Cosgrave. I apologize. Um, just, just an amazing, especially if you listen, if you're a music fan, this is a book for you. If you're a Doris, Jim Morrison fan, definitely a book you should get. Um, just an amazing story. Uh, a hum- amazing human story, amazing snapshot of a, a time in, in history that I think is very important. We talked a bit about that, Bill. Um, but I, I want to get your thoughts on. It's Sorry. almost the old phone ringing in the back. Sorry uh, about th- that. That is fine. That is fine. Um, <laughs> By the way, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm making an offer. If somebody buys the book and doesn't like it, I'll give them their money back. I mean, the, the reviews have been fantastic. There you go. Like, who's, who's yeah. It's just been released in Russia. Wow. Congratulations yeah. on that. Yeah, thank you. I, I didn't know you wrote Russian. 
Um, it's almost Shakespearean what happens with Jim. You know, someone high IQ, very intelligent, um, someone that entertained millions of people uh, around the world, very successful in that sort of area, um, succumbs to his demons uh, in, in Paris, France. Um, when, when you think back of your time with Jim and what ended up, um, becoming his downfall, how, how do you choose to remember him? Well, uh, certainly not the way Oliver Stone portrayed him in, in his movie, uh, which by the way, the, um, Raymond's Eric despised it and he despised Oliver Stone. Um, I, Jim, the Jim that I knew, it was a kind, lovely, sweet, shy person. And that's the one who Mary loved. That's the guy that I loved. And he, he never said anything bad about anybody. Yeah. And I think that, um, that when he finally got money and he started tasting alcohol, I mean, he did a lot of acid. But that was not addictive, and it was, he was trying to expand his mind, and he was so curious what's going on in the world and what happened after you die and, you know, big questions. So he wasn't addicted to that or marijuana. That was to expand his mind. Are you frozen? No, I'm here. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm so mesmerizing, I've frozen your face. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that alcohol and, you know, some alcoholics, they just can't stop. Mm-hmm. I think it just got them. I, my theory is that that's why he was able to be so uninhibited on stage. Uh, he wasn't really into cocaine. I mean, he tried it from what I understand. I didn't know him. Then I, I mean, I know he t- did heroin, but he a bit, I, but he wasn't addicted. He, he was addicted to alcohol. Yeah. And I think that if the, uh, the doors had, and one of them mentioned this, if they had known more about AA, that maybe, maybe they could have got him there and they could have saved him because he was so smart. He maybe would have seen the light. Actually, in my epilogue, I, I imagine that he quit drinking and came back to UCLA and got a job as a professor of teaching at UCLA. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I, 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 for the lovely man that he was, not the uh, uninhibited, crazed, like Ray Manzarek used to call the bad Jim, Jimbo. So, oh, mm. here comes Jimbo, you know, like inconsiderate and unkind and nothing like he, his essence. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's fascinating. Um, Very sad, you know. Yeah. Amazing, smart, lovely guy. The other thing that's amazing to me about him is that uh, – most people, when they want to be in rock and roll, I want to be a you know a star and all that. He quit twice after I don't know album number four or something. He said, yeah, "I'm fellas, I'm I think I've had it, I've had enough of this." And then he went back and he said, "Well, let's do one more." And this was a huge hit. And by the way, they sold something like 120, I think, million records, and they've had like 800 million to a billion hits on, um, on the music streaming channels. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It's still huge. It's bizarre. It's and the, then, the music then, is timeless. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then after uh, their, their, their last album, that's when he said, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to go to Paris. I want to be a poet and uh, see you guys later. Maybe I'll come back. Maybe I won't. So, I mean, he actually twice at, at the pinnacle of his career, I don't think he liked people idolizing him. You know, I think he mm. liked people thinking for themselves and yeah. uh, which is why he told that Miami audience, you're, and I, he said, you're all a bunch of fucking idiots. <laughs> and he, I think he thought they were, you know, think for yourselves. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So pardon my language there. That's, that's fine. You know, obviously you were, you were still a very young man when you left, when you left California uh, to sort of start again uh, back up in Canada. Uh, but, you know, like you said earlier, you've, you've been to uh, you've been down to the States to visit family and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and you end up, I guess, refinding or finding Mary. Right. Um, she had a lot of Jim's stuff or writing or letters or things of that nature. Yes. Tell, tell, tell me about that. Well, when I, when I did find her 40 something years later, I'd been looking for her constantly. Yeah. Um, and you know, unlisted phone numbers, Jim told me when I saw him, when I supposed to meet him in Toronto, that she'd gone to India. Anyway, I found her, uh, and she was told me that she had, um, a bunch of memorabilia from Jim, notes, drawings, cassettes, uh, wow. poems that she really treasured. And about our third visit, because I kept going back to L.A. to visit her, um, she told me that, she said, you know, Billy, only you and I knew the real Jim, and I've had these all my, my life, and I'm thinking I'd like you to have them. So she planned to give them to me. Then she fell and she, her mind went off and she started getting quite odd. And then she, uh, sorry. That's all right. And then she started getting strange and then she started getting paranoid. And she so the next time I saw her, she said, somebody was up my roof, a lawyer trying to evict me. Then um, I went back to Canada, and then I got a call that she uh, had actually died. But then I went down there, and I found out she hadn't died, but she had been she had left the trailer park. It had been her house; her house had been torn down, her car towed away, and with it, her memorabilia. The interesting thing is that the very nice manager of the trailer park. Uh, was took over uh, she told me that Mary would say to her the last thing I want is for Mike to end up with my memorabilia and I said who's Mike because I didn't know she knew anybody and that was her ex-husband oh and but he's disappeared she's disappeared I've tried to find her on, on the web there's what one guy that called me told me that she told him she had found a reservation in Arizona and she was going to move there. She was very spiritual and yoga and mystics. And uh, yeah, so somewhere out there is a box full of, I actually keep looking on, um, you know, the the different sites to see if there's a whack of memorabilia for sale, but I haven't found anything 
anything meaningful. So, yeah. That was phenomenal. Um, Bill, thank you so much for this. I want to ask you actually one question. Greg, Greg this is a, a question Greg loves to ask uh, before we sort of end this. Um, you know, we, we speak with musicians, producers and stuff. Um, we, we speak with people in and around the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious your relationship with music today is is there music that you listen to do you have a favorite band if if you do listen to music what sort of music do you listen to um i have alexa and i get her to play anything i feel like it can be jazz uh, you know rock and roll classic anything so i i don't really have a specific i mean i've always loved jazz yeah and actually even when that uh, Light My Fire came out, I didn't really associate it with any gym or anybody because I would I'd be going to jazz clubs. So I, you know, I, uh, yeah. So I don't have a specific group. Man, I like some of the older groups like Chicago, you know, sure. Tower of Power. Uh, but I just basically listen to everything. I'm not hugely into rap. I, okay. I, listen, I listen to it to try and get it. Yeah. But to me, part of the beauty of singing is the singing voice. Yeah. And uh, there's not enough singing for me in rap. But I, you know, and I can't give you my favorite rap song because I don't have one. Oh, I was going to ask you. <laughs> um, is there, when, when, I'm curious, when, when the doors comes on the radio or a playlist you might be listening to, um, do you stop and sort of remember your time with Jim and Mary or do you, Oh yeah, like I mean, skip it. I'm curious your, no, your I, sort of relationship. I will. I will always listen to. It. It's amazing how many times I can be somewhere and I'll hear it on a, you know, in a store or or on the radio, something. Um, no, I always. Listen. I, I think the Doors are fantastic. I rediscovered them when I was writing this the book, and I thought, yeah. man, they are absolutely amazing musicians, which is why they've stood the test of time. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean the, the way that they could interpret and play along, and I, it, it it was amazing. And three musicians, right? That's astonishing. It's phenomenal. Yeah, um, Bill, I was about to call you Jim. Bill, um, <laughs> thank you uh, for for spending time with me, uh, and thank you so much on behalf of you know all the fans and and readers. Thank you so much for love her madly um you can get it wherever you buy books online uh it's published by dundurn and uh, written by my guest bill cosgrave yeah kareem it's in uh, all of the chapters indigos independent bookstores if you have american audience it's at barnes and noble it's it's everywhere and of course you can order it on amazon Absolutely. Everyone needs to get this book. Bill, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, Kareem, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been talking to you. You're a very nice human being. And uh, if I ever get to Toronto, I would be delighted to meet with you and, uh, you know, come and spend the night, meet your kid. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. We'll we'll sit down and tell him about uh, uh, Jim Morrison. 
I'll keep your uh, your contact information and uh, when do. I get down to Toronto, I'd be delighted to meet with you. And you're a great interviewer and very um, authentic. So thank you very much.